Magaliar to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims. It's a good serve, this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. First stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Welcome, uh, it is the Saints FC podcast and it is episode uh, 100. I mean, Tom, did you ever think it, we would make it this far? I mean, 100 episodes oh, from no. those humble beginnings with Jason Dodd and Neil Madison all those years back in my front room. Yeah, in and, and I remember those cold Monday nights in, in, in Hackney and now look at us, so yeah. glamorous, we moved <laughs> up in the world. Um, and then, like, not only is it our 100th episode, but we've got a double celebration uh, because we're welcoming onto the podcast for the first time um, uh, birthday boy, uh, Jacob Tanswell. Jacob, welcome to the podcast and happy birthday. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's an honour to be here, especially on a 100th episode as well. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah. And um, uh, Tom, how's, how's this to make you feel old? Jacob is 20 years old. Oh, don't say it. An accredited 20. Premier League journalist uh, <laughs> covering Southampton for, for Prost International. And um, uh, listeners, I've invited um, Jacob onto the podcast because uh, in my humble opinion, he is writing the best stuff about Southampton this season. So get yourself onto the Prost International uh, website or have, have a look for Jacob on Twitter. Um uh, I've been retweeting a couple of his stories and have a look because it's it's really good stuff. Um, don't want to flatter you too much though, Jacob. We still want to make you perform um, in this in this podcast. Um, Tom, bef- before we, we get on to Jacob and the game, I, I think, you know, on the kind of 100th episode, we ought to take a moment to reflect. So I was just wondering if you had a moment in mind that, that you can think of that either you know, typifies 100 episodes or your favourite moment from from doing this. Oh, that's a good question. I, I'd have to say, I mean, it's very early on and it's something we've not really done a huge amount of since, but I thought the interviews with Jason Dodd and Neil Madison were brilliant because... So in a hundred um, episodes, I, you're choosing episode one in the 1998 yeah. previous yeah, episodes. We've not this. bettered it. Hear me out on this. So um, if there's, if you do want to listen to other podcasts, there is another podcast called the Football Books Podcast, and they had a very talented journalist, Ubar Butler, on there um, talking about Malatissier's taking Latiss book, which I'm sure any self-respecting Saints fan has read. And what they spoke about was exactly kind of what I found fascinating about the time with Jason Dodd and Neil Madison was that that time when Premier League football was starting to professionalise. I mean, obviously it was professional before, but, you know, you went from the sort of era of, like, slightly overweight, obviously very talented, but sort of, like, you know, athletes in the loosest sense of the world to sort of, to you know, to the evolution we've got now, which are sort of 0% body fat terminators. And I, I found that just really interesting about because they were kind of the... Yeah, that was the fading days, wasn't it, of the kind of, you know, when before the Premier League was full of super athletes, mm. elite athletes. It, it was the era that Charlie Austin ought to have been born into. He'd have made a great <laughs> mid-90s Premier League football player, I think. Um, you know, and the lifestyle to, to boot with it. 
So, so that's it, Tom. Just episode one. That's your favourite of the hundred. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm going for it. Um, I mean, one of the things I'd, I'd say is like the getting Mick Channon to record an episode with Mick Channon Jr. Um, for the 99th episode, I thought was a real treat. And, and anyone who hasn't listened back to that, I think you should. Also, I mean, one of the things I loved about that was like, it's just a father and son chatting about their love for saints. And mm. I think getting all a bit soppy here, but actually, um, you know, with Southampton, I've been going to games, been going with my dad, my brother, father-in-law, my granny when, when she was still alive. And it's just something which has kind of come through the family and I'm not really gone with mates that many times or got to, got to know the wider Saints family that much. But doing the podcast, there's been times when... Um, like when someone comes up to you at work and says, oh, you're the guy from the podcast, that's a bit weird. Uh, when you go in and buy yourself a beer at a wedding and then someone's like, hey, you're the Saints podcast guy. And then also being hugged in the away end at Arsenal by complete strangers. <laughs> Stuff like that, which is just, you just can't... Um, yeah, you just like that that sort of stuff I just had no experience of before. And that's, that's amazing. But I, I think also maybe having Matt all the way from California over in... Oh, my front yeah. room in Hackney and, and meeting him, that was pretty amazing as well. I, I, I took him to West Ham away where we lost 3-0. Uh, <laughs> we were losing 3-0 in the first half. Um, what a game to travel all that way for. <laughs> it's dreadful, isn't it? Awful. Jacob, we, 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 we won't press you for your favourite episode of the last 100. I mean, I know, you've probably listened to every single one of those in preparation for coming on today, but... Um, <laughs> I'll spare you that that embarrassment. Um, well, sh- should we get on to the um, the Saints Wolves game because I, I think that's kind of what what our listeners are here to listen to. Yeah. So for me, I I love that game. I looked at it, and for me, it was a real good game of tactical cat and mouse. Um, it was the first time in their history where Nuno did a go with a back five, and when I saw that, I thought this is although Connor Cody's unfit, this is a reason because you look at uh, the likes of Saints, especially in the central areas, and having an extra midfielder in there for Wolves was going to cause issues for Saints and something that Saints have had this season. So I was really looking forward to seeing how Saints adapted to that and how their game would have been influenced by it. It's a really kind of interesting point. And almost if you fast forward right to the very, very end of the game, I think you can see that mutual respect um, between Nuno Espirito Santos and, and Ralph Hasenhutl, they at, at the end, both of them kind of looked quite pleased with the point. I think they kind of both felt like they were quite pleased that they weren't outdone by their kind of other, their significant other, I suppose, on the other team at the end. And I think they both kind of looked like they had gone through sort of several rounds of tactical battling. And it was quite a topsy-turvy game with... Um, yeah, Wolves being on top, Saints being on top, Wolves being on top, Saints being on top. And it kind of it was quite back and forth. And there are times of the game when I thought the game wasn't going anywhere, but then it would quite quickly turn on, on its on its head. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, Tom, what did you make of that? Well, Ralph said it was probably one of the best performances. I think he said even the best or one of the best performances of the season. And yeah, Wolves are really good. John, you and I went there last season. Uh, and they're a really good football team. And the Miss Connor Cody, I remember being super impressed with him. But, yeah, you've got – they're very big and they're very strong. And it was actually one of the first times I've sort of seen Romeo bounced off the ball sort of several times uh, in the game. And, and Ward Prowse also kind of out-muscled. I think, you know, it was a very credible 
result for Saints, and it shows how far they've come. Because you know, if you just said, you know, a year ago you'll get a one or draw at Wolves, Saints would have yeah you know, snapped your hand off for that. And obviously now they're slightly disappointed. But I thought it was a really interesting game. I thought it showed both teams' strengths. I thought it showed both teams' weaknesses as well in terms of finishing. I thought Saints' finishing was, was and decision making sometimes was pretty poor. But also um, just to marvel on the spectre of like the spectacle that is Traore and how that he is just completely and utterly unplayable. And, and Saints did what Spurs did, which is they recycled the fouls through the team. And I couldn't believe when I saw at the end of the game that not a single player of Saints got booked when any time Traore got near the ball, yeah, we barely tried to tackle him. They just kind of. <laughs> I mean, at one point, James Ward Prowse just comes across and just throws him to the ground and sort of says, well, that's that then. You know, that's it, job done. It, yeah. it was amazing to watch. I thought it was astonishing that Romeo didn't get booked. Um, I think, was it was it from the, it was the free, actually probably the first kind of decent chance of the game. I think Romeo, I can't remember who he scythed down just outside the box, but it led to a free kick, um, which came off the wall and then and then it was recycled and then there was a shot and, and then... Um, really good sort of double save from McCarthy where he parried it out and then Donker then kind of hit it back and he managed to get get back onto it but yeah really um I mean I found that amazing that uh, Romeo didn't get a yellow card for that I thought it was a yellow card all day long um I don't know if I need to go but back to back to Triore as well yeah I mean Ward Prowse could have had one but I remember last year Tom Triore was on that wing wasn't he so Right next to us. Yeah, where where the away end is in Wolves, you're along the side of the pitch rather than at one of the ends or one of the corners is normally the way. And and just seeing the guy, he's a man mountain, isn't he? I mean, Gineppo didn't stand a chance, and and it's not often that you see Ryan Bertrand being out muscled or being kind of outsmarted by a player, but but he had that. So should we come back to Traore and then perhaps let's let's talk about this chance for Wolves and then let's go into the fouls because I thought that was quite interesting. <laughs> We kind of got away with it, didn't we, with, with, with this one. I thought McCarthy did really well to get up and it was probably fortunate that that chance fell to Dendonka as well. Well, his first save wasn't great. I think, you know, he kind of redeemed himself because mm. I've never been a goalkeeper. I'm five foot five. I'll be the world's worst. I'm scared of the ball. So I'd be terrible in goal. But, you know, he kind of, the first save is probably not what he wants to do, isn't it? It's probably not put it back in that area. But fair play to getting straight back up and, it comes off his shoulder in the end. Mm. I, I was kind of quite amazed because in real time it looked like he sort of saved it from the floor, but actually in the slow motion replay, you could see he was up to his feet and had his body spread really, really quickly after he'd parried the shot out, which um, which I thought was was quite impressive. Um, Jacob, you, you've got like a a bit of an insight on the tactical fouls, haven't you? And seeing as we've brought it up already, and we're you know, a few minutes into this game and we've seen the first really major tactical foul from Romeo. What, what are Saints trying to do here? Well, it's... When you look at Southampton, they look, a lot of them look like schoolboys, especially Ward Prowse, they look like Butterwood at Mount. They're not exactly one of your back-in-the-day Patrick Vieira, Roy Keane type of teams. What they're so good at is they're good at pretending to be innocent. So there's not one player where you think, right, he's the, he's going to be the guy that makes the tackles. They share it around. Often the midfield too, because obviously Romeo doesn't have the massive most ability and mobility, and more prowesses. You know, although he can handle himself, he's not the strongest. They're very good at being niggly, and that's so important for Salamson because the way Salamson play, where they're often exposed in the wide areas with the full backs going high, they've got to stop counterattacks at source. So therefore, more prowess. Romeo have to develop uh, making fouls, 
but not making too many fouls and getting sent off. But obviously, how many yellow cards remain on now without getting sent off? 49 or something? Is that it's right? A, that was very impressive. <laughs> it's ston- so has he not been sent off? No, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. The thing about it is, especially, I notice it, especially against Wilfred Zahar, because we all know Walprouse and Zahar, is although them two are the, you know, the, the battle, they're very clever. So I remember when, at Southwest Park, Stuart Armstrong got involved, uh, Cedric got involved, Romeo, Jack Stevens. They all share it. They all know who should not, who should make the tackle next, and who's potentially at risk of getting sent off. And the way they do it is so innocent and so subtle that other teams haven't cottoned onto it yet, apart from a few Saints fans. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I find that amazing, sorry about Romeo, because also, how many times have you seen him get booked after like seven minutes? And you're like, oh God, there's no way he's going to last. That's incredible. He's never been sent off for Saints. I mean, it's well, no, it's no wonder that um, Ralph absolutely loves him because, you know, with, with tactical fouls being such a big part of his tactics, to have someone who can pretty much guarantee that he'll always get a yellow card but never get a red is you know, an important part of, of, of that game. And um, it's been really interesting to see saints develop this over time and, and um jacob tom and i've spoken at length about james will prowl so when we started this podcast about four years ago one of tom's favorite questions was to ask what is a james will prowse and i think yeah. in the last it's, it's nearly two years now isn't it that ralph's been with us um mm-hmm. we've seen him develop into yes double barreled surname raf haircut uh claude Puel decide, <laughs> describing him as you know the, the boy you'd like to be your your son-in-law but He's turned into a nice little kind of nasty piece of work, actually, Ward-Prowse, and got more effective in all the other parts of his game as well, which which has been really fantastic to see. Um, let, let's kind of like move on through the game because I think we'll, we'll pick up on a few more talking points as we go through. Um, I think kind of Walcott probably had the first half chance for Saints, you know, when it mm. got forward from, um, I think it was a through ball from Adams. So I thought, we'll come on to Adams because I thought Adams' build-up play... Um, Yesterday, I thought was was just really fantastic. He holds up the ball and he's able to see the through balls. Um, and then we had the Armstrong chance um, uh, as well, which um, you know just stretching. He kind of slid forward and just put it past the post, didn't he? From I think I think that was from an Adams through ball. Actually, it may have been yeah, the, the Walcott one was from a, an Armstrong or a Gineppo pass. But yeah, um, I thought that had gone in. I almost jumped up and, and, and went, but it just kind of crept past. And it wasn't a good chance necessarily, but it was it was an interesting chance. It was nice to see Armstrong kind of getting into that position and, and giving it a go. Yeah, I, I think with Armstrong, he's I don't think he's quite hit the heights yet of last season. His decision-making does seem to be a little bit off at times. We'll come to the Wolves goal. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Adams, but Armstrong... Again, like you know, Jacob points out that other teams haven't really cottoned on to to the sort of tactical fouls of Saints. People haven't sort of seemed to cotton on that um, Stuart Armstrong just kind of plays where he wants. Yeah, he just kind of drifts across that 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 you know the pitch, and I think it it kind of causes chaos, doesn't it, for the opposition? Mm. I think it makes it very hard to track, doesn't it, for the opposition defenders or defensive midfielders. Um, and I think I think you're right. I, I think Armstrong hasn't quite hit the sort of form he was at the end of last season but he's still proving incredibly important and I think it's because of that role he, he plays yeah Jacob what I mean, what's the difference between like a, I don't know if you know between like a Jan Valerie or a Cedric and Walker Peters why is Armstrong able to be so much more effective 
with Walker Peters behind him than he was with the other two right backs. Because I think he's he's probably got more license. I see a lot of um when Hartington shouts, a lot of what he says is Stewie red zone. So in that in that central area of the pitch, I think if Valerie or Cedric are playing, you probably wouldn't drift as much. He'd probably hold his width a little bit more because he knows Jan Valerie and Cedric aren't the best one v one defenders. Where Walker Peters, you saw yesterday, um, at times Stuart Armstrong was playing number ten for twenty minutes, and Walker Peters was against was against two on that left flank. He's so good at tackling and so good at his positioning, Walker Peters. He knows he never gets caught out uh, in transition. And I just feel Armstrong is able to get into that number 10 role because he knows that Walker Peters not only provides width going forward, he also is very, very sturdy at the back. It's, I mean, it is, it is absolutely fascinating, that, isn't it? And, and watching kind of Walker Peters develop and, and Armstrong develop like that with with that sort of going across and I think the 4-2-2-2 formation which Ralph always bangs on about is almost a bit of a cheeky lie isn't it because quite often it's a 4-3-3 formation or um, you know 4-2-4 and and very rarely does it kind of hold this sort of particular 4-2-2 exactly I I suppose sort of shape Um, but yeah no I mean it is like Carl Walker Peters has just been a, a real dream I think to get in the team and he's, he's improving everyone around him um and you'd have thought you'd maybe be a bit worried about leaving him alone on on that right hand side kind of facing up to Wolves left wing but it just never seems to phase him does it and I, I think most of our problems came down the other side for for Wolves yeah he's he's surprisingly for I think he looks like quite a small guy um he doesn't look, I mean, what is he like, I don't know, 5'7"? He looks not much bigger than Cedric. Um, but he's incredibly tenacious. And also he's, you know, I think we spoke about this before, John, I think he's probably the most skillful player we've got in terms of beating his man. Um, you know, the amount of times, and he almost got caught out last night, to be fair, but the amount of times you'll see him dance around two or three players, uh, you know, he does that every single game. He's incredibly skillful. Yeah, which kind of gives you those those openings as well. Um, Jacob, just I want to go back to what you said about Armstrong and, and you're hearing Ralph shouting from the sidelines, uh, Stewie getting the red zone. Um, for our listeners, can you explain what the red zone is? So the red zone is basically where everything that good about Saints comes from. So it's the area between the opposition centre-backs and the opposition's midfield. So it's kind of like a box. You've got to station yourselves in that area just between the two the, the lines, the defensive line and the midfield line. And if Armstrong can get in there, he's basically in the typical number 10 role. He, and as soon as he gets in there, then that's when like Red Arrows, the likes of Walcott, if Ings is playing, Adams, they then make runs and it really causes the back line of the opposition problems. So that's, and that is Hart and Atul's preferred way of attacking. And the red zone is just, it's quite an easy, succinct way of just saying, Stewie, I want you there rather than, you know, going through the rigmarole. And, uh, Jacob, and that sort of... Jacob, so we'll come to the goal, but um, what the goal I thought was quite interesting because um, Adams and Armstrong double up on, I think it's Semedo. Is that like, is that a Ralph thing as well? Like, you know, flooding the back post? You know, it was quite interesting because they both went instinctively towards the back post. Is that like another instruction to kind of out, out, you know, outnumber the man at the back post? Well, you, you saw that in, in certain games, they they overload one side of the wing. So I remember against Everton, Ben Godfrey was playing right back, wasn't he? There was a lot of players on that side, on that left-hand side. There's a, there's a big overload. So they do like to create overloads in the um, where they see their weaknesses to be. 
So I think they do work on it and they do target people. And and that's that's the point where I mean those overlays, that's what is really exciting, especially if you've got one of the um the the kind of uh, right back or left back joining in the attack or you've got James Will Prowse surging forward because you instantly outnumber the opposition, don't you? If you can get in, in between those lines and into that red zone and then start having all those options e- e- either side. Um, I mean, I think kind of in the first half, it, it's that, you know, is the interesting tactical battle, but there weren't that many sort of chances of note. I think the, kind of, the only other one that we haven't really talked about was that kind of sort of flick on from Podence, which, which drew kind of a, an okay save from McCarthy. It was kind of pretty at him. Um, at the second half, Again, Podence hit the ball this time from a shot at McCarthy after a good break from Wolves. And then I think probably the next kind of moment of real note was the uh, was the Walcott tap-in and the Walcott goal, which I think came from James Ward-Prowse and Armstrong Perseverance. And I know, Tom, you're going to give Armstrong a bit of a, a slating when we talk about the Wolves goal. But I think you know him and James Ward-Prowse need a bit of um, credit here for the way they, they won the ball back in the middle of the pitch rather than kind of high up the Wolves pitch and managed to, to you know, transition to attack from the centre circle. Um, and Armstrong particularly did well, I think, to kind of then get it get it down into the sort of right flank before getting getting it across to Gineppe. Yeah, I thought it was... I mean, I, I thought the goal was going to be disallowed, to be honest. I thought the challenge from uh, Armstrong on the, the young... Is it El Murray? I, I thought they were going to dislike. So I thought, you know, he kind of doesn't play the ball. He just kind of flatters the kid. Um, but you're right. And I, I think, you know, again, it, it's winning the ball back. But it's it's about that, you know, Adams. How, if you look at how good Adams' overall game is now, and, and in terms of, you know, his reaction for that goal, because he doesn't, you know, the ball hits Samade. But his first thing, he doesn't try and do anything else, but just fizz it across that sort of line of danger that goalkeepers and defenders hate. And I, I thought it was really good all-round play um, from Saints. I thought it was good from Gineppo as well. Like, you know, it was actually everyone everyone did the right thing, didn't they? Everyone did the smart move rather than try and be too clever. Yeah, well, I found quite funny. So I was watching this with my dad. So we had a sort of FaceTime going on. So chatting away whilst we were watching the game. And throughout the entire build-up play, my dad was just going, Walcott, get onside, get onside, get onside. And then finally, at the right moment, he was onside, which is when Adams kind of fizzed the ball across. But I wonder if, you know, he was offside for so long, I wonder if the Wolves defenders were just like, well, pff, he's just spending his, all his time offside, I don't need to worry about him anymore, which, which meant he, he is left free. Um, Adams just constantly amazes me with his ability to make the right decision in a split second in those sort of kind of critical areas for the assists. And he's was that his fourth assist of the season already? I I can't remember what the stats are. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be. Um, Jacob, what's the difference between Shay Adams? I mean, obviously goals and everything, but what what's the difference? You know, what's happened to this guy that looked kind of a bit forlorn last year? Why is he? Suddenly, look. To be honest, he looks international class mm. at the moment. He, he just looks. He looks leaner. He just looks fitter. I remember last year he used to come on, didn't he? And he used. He didn't really do much in the build-up of goals. Like he didn't score any, but he used to fall over a lot. His touch was a bit all over the place. He didn't really know where he was. Well, I think he's a lot more um, settled now. He's although he's a big guy, he's got fantastic touch. He he can come to feet. He can spin in behind. Um, he's not the most he doesn't finesse the ball as much, but I think when he's got players around him 
who who are able to thread them balls through to him, especially this year, um, it it makes all the difference. And what if you need to remember is last year when he did start games, we were playing five at the back, mm. and I think that was a problem because he did have a lot of bodies around him. Where this year he's obviously four at the back, he's got Ings who's is just unbelievable, and the the two number tens, he's got a list to bring to games. So I think that helps him a lot. I mean, that's really interesting. I hadn't sort of noticed him being kind of leaner or fitter, but um, one thing which he's really impressed me with this season, particularly in the game against Wolves yesterday, his ability to hold on to the ball is just amazing and hold off a tackle is is just brilliant. I mean, I think that probably the best time to talk about that is with Walcott's next chance, but I think first we need to give Walcott some credit. He's got a goal here. We said he'd get goals, didn't we, when he signed Tom? So yep. pleased to see that. So that's two assists and a goal for Walcott. He should have two goals by now. We'll get on to that. Um, but my word, what a drought. 2006 was the last time he scored a league goal for Saints. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I mean, people were worried about Che Adams too. last season. Walcott's not scored since 2006. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it? I, I that's nearly it was 15 years, because, mate. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, is it? I think, oh, isn't it amazing that he... It's funny because it? football fans are very. Um, they, I think they're very kind of. They don't a lot, of, and I'm guilty this much. They don't look at like the big picture. And I was watching a, a slightly murky stream last night from our American cousins, and yeah, you know, the guy, the concept said that um, Walcott's been subbed 147 times in the Premier League, which he's the most subbed player in the Premier League. I think it's 147 or 141, one of the two. And he said that yeah, but a lot of a lot of a lot of every player would kill to have 147 Premier League games, let alone play enough games to be substituted that many times. And I think, yeah, he's a goal scorer. He scored goals Champions League. He scored goals international. He scored goals for Arsenal. He didn't score many for Everton. But yeah, he he's not that old. You know, we've not signed like a 33-year-old. We've signed a bloke who looks as fit as he's ever been and mentally in a better place than he's ever been. Yeah, Jacob, what what have you made from Walcott's addition to the to the side? I was I'm quite surprised by how easy he's, he's um fitted into the system, especially against Newcastle where he was up front, um taking obviously taking Danny's place. He looked his off the ball movement was great. He can run in behind, he's pressing his in terms of recognising when to press and recognising when not to has been excellent. On the sidelines, Harson doesn't really shout at him where as opposed to Musa Gineppo, for example, uh, he's kind of talking him through the game. So Walcott has come back, although he, we can say whatever about his missed chances, he certainly fitted in really well to the system. And do, you, do you think there's an element there as well about the younger players at Saints and the influence that, you know, someone who they could look at like that, he's 31, he's super fit mentally in a great space. He's had a really long, successful career. Do you, do you think there's an element of, as well as what he brings on the pitch, it's, it's off the pitch as well? I think it was so important to bring a player like him in because not only will he um, provide experience, but he also stimulates the score. Just a new place, a guy that's won all, that, won all them trophies. And seeing a guy who's won all that and he's had that many appearances press with the intensity he does, then the likes of Michael Everfemi would be look, should be looking at that anyway, thinking if Ian Walcott does that, I need to do that too if I want to stand a chance of getting past him in the team yeah I mean that is a and I think Ralph is probably giving that message to Michael Obafemi he's he's said a few things in um, public hasn't he Ralph about Obafemi that that 
demonstrates that he wants to see him working harder and really fighting um, for that. And he's saying that other people are putting in more effort. Um, and it is, I mean, it's great to see Theo putting in this effort. And also, um, I don't know if I'm ever going to get tired of Theo Walcott just gushing about how much he loves Southampton. I mean, he absolutely <laughs> loves the club. It, it's incredible. It's almost like he's gone back to his first love, you know, after, you know, a failed relationship with a couple of others, you know, f- 14 years away. And then he's gone back to his kind of childhood sweetheart and everything is all rosy and and lovely at the moment. It's it's a... Uh, it's quite it's quite brilliant to hear him talking about Saints every time. He's just absolutely gushing towards the club, isn't he? He's like a spokesperson, isn't he, for the club? Yeah. Every, after every game, he's he's speaking afterwards, isn't he? And he's telling us about it's his boyhood club. It's a dream come true to be back here. He loves it. It's it's, it's really quite refreshing to see a person that's gone away, competing in Champions League, coming back and still having that same desire. Yeah. yeah. Right now we're going to stop I, the Walcott loving. And we're no, going to talk about that second chance. Oh, <laughs> I mean, this really was... Get, hook him, get rid of him, John. This really was the chance to win the game, wasn't it? I mean, this was McCarthy to Adams on the halfway line who won the ball, held on to it really brilliantly and fantastic through ball. Brilliant positioning from Theo Walcott, you know, far up on the pitch, right running from deep so he wasn't offside and then creating that, that one-on-one chance. And... I think if if there's the one thing that um, you'd ask Arsenal fans about Theo Walcott that frustrated him, I think he quite frequently found himself in this sort of position where he'd be running at pace towards the goalie, having you know been found in a sort of one on you know this sort of chance presents itself to Theo Walcott quite quite a lot, and certainly did in his younger days at, at Arsenal, and quite often he won't finish it. Um, and it was, I was just gutting. You'd have bet your house on Danny Ings finishing that, that same chance, wouldn't you? And uh, to not get it on target, I think, was, was pretty disappointing. He didn't just not get it on target as well. He, he kind of really shanked it. I mean, I, I, you wonder, don't you, if he... Um, yeah, I don't know if this is just an excuse that footballers say, but you wonder if he almost had too much time. And, um, you know, he was so free... That it was, you know, you just you don't actually often see players get that kind of free from the opposition defender, or good opposition defenders anymore. Um, and I think he almost he was caught in two minds, and in the end, he did nothing right. I mean, I would have thought I thought he was going to try and chip the keeper. Uh, I just thought that was the obvious thing to do. Mm. He had a massive space over the keeper's left shoulder to aim for, but in the end, he just got it really wrong yeah I mean it, it was exact, exact, exactly the same chance as Danny Welbeck had wasn't it for Brighton uh. earlier in the weekend where he chipped the keeper and that was exactly what it was asking for um, didn't quite manage it and I think you know it's, it's kind of a bit of a cliche to say I think at that point the game is you know it's game over it's 2-0 they're not coming back from that I mean we've seen that Wolves can come back from 2-0 down against Southampton quite effectively before um <laughs> Uh, Don't mention it, John. But yeah, I th- I think at that point Wolves would be very frustrated because you know everything they've thrown at McCarthy has bounced back off him, and um, you know two 0 up. I, I think it, they'd have found it quite difficult to come back at that point. But come back they did, and uh, Tom, this is your big opportunity to lay into Armstrong now. So do you want to explain what's happened and why it's all Armstrong's fault? It's, it's not that I want to lay into Armstrong. I think this is something. I mean, Armstrong wasn't the only Saints player to do this on uh, last night Romeo did it and Walker Peters did it 
I, I thought Saints were guilty of overplaying it a little bit, which is something they've not really done that much this season. They've always been very clever um, about getting the getting the ball away. And I, you know, when Jacob's article, I thought encapsulated it perfectly, where you know they're not that worried about going forward if the opportunity isn't right. Just get rid of the ball. If they have to go back to McCarthy and start again, just start again. I thought it was almost like we tried to do some sort of last-minute FA Cup final heroics, and I don't really understand what Armstrong was trying to do. But yeah, he did two players, and then he gets he gets robbed on the third. He he, he does, um, yeah. And I I think this is a mistake from Saints, and sometimes I think. When it, when it comes off, it seems to create quite dangerous chances, but when it uh, doesn't come off, it sometimes creates quite dangerous chances for the opposition. So it is a little bit of a roll of the, uh, or a spin of the roulette wheel, I suppose, you know, where, where it's going or not. Jimenez gets his shot away, comes off the post, and, um, you know, Neto's first threats, but it comes out straight to him, doesn't it? I mean, it was the perfect kind of setup off the post, and I don't think McCarthy has a, has a chance uh, to stop that. Um, the, the rest of the game, I felt like there was, you know, lots and lots of Wolves pressure. We had the offside um, Jimenez goal from from the free kick. Do you remember this one where everyone, mm. they didn't even step forward to do the offside trap, but the offside trap worked beautifully. That stuff really scares me as a fan. I mean, Jacob, you're blowing your cheeks out. Do you want to say how that <laughs> makes you feel? I mean, are you a fan of Saints as well as a, a journalist or is, it just, is that just something in football that makes you feel uneasy? Well, every no, especially saying because Saints got this thing now where from deep free kicks, they will not step back. They will they will stay there or step up, and they they don't mind players running past them. They don't go into the box and follow their man. They say go on, keep going. And when I see four or five opposition players having the the box, in I think I really hope we've we've got this right. So it's quite precarious, but I, I suppose it's it's like it's typical of Saints. We talked about Stuart Armstrong about him losing the ball. But that's the way Saints play. They're always on the edge, and, mm. and in other day, in other times, Armstrong would have gone past him, and then he would have been driving into that red zone, and then he'd have overloads either side of him. So that's the reason why we love watching Hartman's all football. Um, but yeah, it's not one if you want to just sit on a one-nil lead and just be calm because them deep free kicks, you know what's coming. And Jacob, do you, do you think it's uh, you know because I think you're exactly right if. Um, if Armstrong had gone past that final player, he would have taken out in a, a millisecond three, you know, a third of the out, nearly a third of the outfield players of Wolves within, you know, a millisecond. We saw Walker Peters try and do it afterwards. He got robbed as well. Is that a kind of deliberate thing of just trying to slice as many players out of the game as possible with, with one sort of magic bullet and then moving on from there? Yeah, Harsons or football is all about incision, isn't it? Whether it's through passing or football, um, through for dribbling and we've we've had enough of these years of Claude Puel's Pellegrinos where they they want to they want to play the safer safety first uh, pass or dribble where with Hartnett it's just completely it's just been flipped on his head and that something Saints fans should enjoy and and appreciate because when we get a new manager I doubt these risks or and I doubt this brand of football will be replicated I mean, I'm hoping that's not for many, many years that we need mm. to seek out a new manager because I'm very much enjoying um, the Ralph Hasenhüttl brand of, of football. Um, I mean, it's funny because 1-1 felt like a quite a good result in the end, I think. You know, having been 
absolutely aghast at, at Walcott missing. And, and when I reflect on the Walcott chance, I feel a bit disappointed that we haven't come away with the three points. Um, but when you look at the statistics and you see how many saves McCarthy made, who I think, you know, we've got to give him some credit here because although he didn't pull off any worldy saves, he made sure he was in the right place at the right time for almost everything that Wolves threw at him. So a lot of credit, I think, is due there. And, and sometimes making saves look easy tells you that there's a really good goalkeeper there. He's got his positioning right. He's reading the game well. He's setting himself well. And um, sometimes the spectacular save is when you're recovering from an earlier mistake. Um, so I think, you know, McCarthy deserves some credit. But overall, 1-1 felt like a good result. And um, you know, we talked about Ralph and... Um, uh, Ralph Hasenhutl kind of been really... He, he looked pleased with the 1-1 at the end as well. And I, I think we talked about that kind of um, tactical battle with, with Espirito Santos as well. I mean, Jacob, what stood out from the tactics, other than Wolves kind of setting up with the four at the back which I'm sure would have thrown Ralph's plans did did you notice tactical changes happening throughout the game was it like a game of chess or did each stick each man sort of stick to their guns or or was there kind of like different things being tried out throughout the 90 minutes I think I think Hosnetal knew this game was gonna be a slog because it's often the first game from the international break the likes of Stuart Armstrong I know he didn't play the last game but they're coming back and have a, just a rhythm. It would be well for Saints to come back and to be in that perfect pressing frenzy style. Um, but it, I noticed that Armstrong did move even more narrow in about midway through that first half. And Saints started off the ball. Saints did start to press quite high. But then they kind of replicated Wolves in a way and they did that middle block. So they let the likes of Willie Bolly have that ball and they said, come on, try and play through us. And I think that, in a way, that helped because it completely stopped Ruben Neves and Jal Moutinho from getting on the ball. So it was a real good, we will see what your strengths are, we'll stop that. And it was a fantastic chess game and I really enjoyed that first half. I know there wasn't many chances, but tactically, it, they kept cancelling each other out every time. It's a game for the purists, isn't it, where it's nil-nil, but there's a really interesting tactical battle, whereas, you know, us lesser mortals are just going, oh, I wish there was a decent chance in this. Um, but I, th- I but think, John, you know, Wolves are a really good team. They are. They? I mean, they're yeah. a really, really good football team. And for us to go there and, and come away with a very credible one-all draw um, is a really strong result. And, you know, we, they, they have, I think it spoke volumes about, the, the effort and the commitment that Saints players put in. And I think you know, it was a bit like, I'm trying to think, what was the game where we we drew and Ralph celebrated it like a, a win? I think it might have been last season, last season, but I can't remember. But, you know, but it was it almost had that feeling of like getting a draw in that game was really important psychologically, you know, mm-hmm. ahead, of a, ahead of Man United, just not losing and, and being able to hold out. I know it was, it was Man United, if you remember that last yeah. year in Vestergaard. Um, scored and you know, it was really good overall I, I, you know it was a really impressive performance yeah and I think kind of what some clubs will come and play Southampton with a little bit of naivety of not really knowing what they're about I mean we saw it with Frank Lampard when he described teams like Southampton as in you know they should be sort of brushed aside um, you know Steve Bruce kind of said that he, he knew what Southampton were doing but his team just couldn't do anything about it but I think in Wolves what we saw was um, a team that knew what Southampton were trying to do and were actually quite effective in not slipping into the sorts of traps that other teams do like Wolves didn't dwell on the ball um, 
with the fullbacks mm. or the centre backs really at any point um, when when Saints were kind of looking to press high up the pitch. Um, and the other thing which I noticed Wolves didn't do, and, and this is kind of, and I've got to sort of thank you, Jacob, for kind of the, the fact I was looking out for this made this part of the game a bit more exciting uh, for me because there was a point when Saints were trying to coax Wolves out of their half and uh, Vestergaard and Bednarek and Bertrand were all kind of holding on to the ball. Um, McCarthy getting a couple of chances and they were just desperate to draw Wolves out and stretch the play so that they could then launch an attack from the back and Wolves just weren't going for it they're sort of content to watch Saints kind of hit it around and at that point it almost felt like there was two teams there who were really quite content to get a draw but having read your article about Saints build-up play and, and the importance of us going all the way back to the start Jacob it was kind of I was watching Wolves to see if they would fall into that trap but they've clearly been reading your articles as well or or they've got some scouts about I don't know which it is yeah um I hope it's hope it's a former but it was like it's like Saints were trying to thread the needle weren't they and Wolves were not only were they not biting trying to set traps as well so they were going go and give it to I don't know Ward Prowse and then we then we might start edging forward but in terms of Vestergaard when he gets the ball and he does it's little, you know, he does a little, he rolls the ball a little bit. He might give it to Benerick and get it back. The whole idea is to play through. When you see Hartnett, especially with no fans, he he changes the tempo. So he'll, he'll say, all right, calm, calm, calm. And then all of a sudden, he'll see something and then he'll start shouting go. And that's where you start seeing them vertical passes. But Saints couldn't do that against Wolves because Wolves were in such a tight block and we... Saints either had to go out wide to Gineppo and Armstrong, who would then just pass it back between. And that was a problem for Saints. And I think Ralph will look at that. And I think other teams will look at that. And it'll be really interesting to see when the next time that happens, have Saints got anything about them to break him down? Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, Jacob, can you sort of generally speaking, can you tell us about that? Say, we've just heard the announcement that... Um, fans are going to be allowed back into stadium soon. So we're going to have 4,000 people in St. Mary's for, for a game. Admittedly, no one's going to be allowed to shout or sing um, in the initial kind of return to fans. Or drink, yes. Um, fun police, I think, is maybe how which comes to mind. Um, <clears throat> so, so when, I mean, normally kind of at St. Mary's, when we have the ball high up the pitch, let's say Redmond's got it, and nothing's really showing. So then Redmond plays it back to Bertrand. Who then maybe plays it back to Vestergaard or Bednarek, who then plays it back to McCarthy. And what the 32,000 people in St Mary's normally do is let out this sort of collective groan or sigh with a few sort of dissenting voices just going, get it up the pitch, you know. Um, why should we as Saints fans not hassle Saints when we see them doing this, when we're back in the stadium, Jacob? It's all part of the bigger plan, isn't it? Because you've now seen on the, although it's on the TV, that Saints have now got the capabilities to pass it through. I completely understand Saints fans' frustration last year because they weren't, Saints, let's be honest, they weren't good enough to pass it out from the back. I remember, especially early on in the season, Angus Gunn would put the ball down, the two centre-backs would split, but then there'd be nothing. So he might, Gunn would have passed it to Benerick, Benerick would look up, pass it back, then they would smash it up there. They, they, they've now got an idea, they've got a way of playing, they've got more players showing for the ball, being more confident. And... I, I think fans will be more patient when they come back. But now they've seen it. They can see Vestergaard, who for, for 18 months, I personally didn't see anything from him. Now 
doing these cross-field Virgil van Dijk diagonal balls. They see Jan Benarek on his favoured side, the right side, passing through the lines. And I think fans will hopefully they'll be a lot more patient. And they've got and they've now got the evidence to be patient. Jacob, on that, one of the things John and I discussed is how um, a lot of the Saints players just look better at being f- at football. It, it sounds like a stupid thing to say, <laughs> but like Romeo is a better footballer than he was a year ago. The guy's 29, so it's not like he can't, you know, you probably stop. There's probably a plateau in terms of how much you learn, but like he's just better at, at being a footballer. You know, Ward Prowse is the same. Is this, uh, I guess, this is, is this a combination of confidence and coaching and, and just kind of everyone being in the same place mentally do you think i think it's i think the first thing is probably coaching harsonis was coaching is certainly layered and if he introduced all his ideas straight away the players their brains would just be frazzled so i think the first thing was getting them to work hard so a lot of last year and the year before you saw them play longer put the balls into areas almost like rugby and then go into press and since saints have become better and more adept at pressing they're now being able to refine the game in terms of their possession so they're able to now be more confident. I've watched Romeo this year and I describe him like a trampoline. If Saints ever got any other options, they give it to him and Romeo, one touch, flicks around the corner or passes it back. He's just always there. And the way he does that is through repetition on the training pitch. Continual, just, it might be boring, but knowing, right, when I get the ball, I know Walker Peters will be here, Ward Prowse will be here, you know, that type of thing. And, I just feel it's they've really focused on being a better footballing team as opposed to a pressing team. Oh, it's interesting. There was, a, there was with... a great sorry, there was a great Romeo bit last night where he was off after being getting some treatment. If you remember this, oh and then, yes. uh, this was great. It's like classic Romeo where he had to like he was obviously annoyed that he had to get treatment, annoyed he'd been sent off the pitch, and then I think kind of you know walls broke, didn't they? And then all of a sudden you just see this massive ball Spaniard like. <laughs> fly about 200 miles an hour to clatter someone and get the ball away just you know it obviously just comes straight off the pitch like a bullet it was brilliant i'm really glad you brought that up tom that was one of my favorite parts of last night and i'm upset that i'd forgotten it for for my notes for this podcast um one of the things as well as well about romeo i think you know we've seen him be the destroyer um you know for for a long time uh in the Saints side and now, and only now, it seems that we're starting to see the benefit of that sort of Lamanca education um, and playing for Guardiola because he can pass the ball, he can start attacks, he has got some vision, which is just not something I, I knew that he had, to be honest. I mean, when he won the, the Player of the Season award a, a few years back, it was very much because of the destroying, wasn't it? It wasn't because of the the passing or launching attacks, but seeing Romeo being being really effective is it, it, just fantastic. And it's it's the weird thing as well, isn't it, at the moment? You've got all the fans are gushing over Petermorberg, um, who's doing a really, really effective job for Spurs, who are currently top of the table. So, you know, you've got to say fair play to him, and, and he's working really well in the Mourinho side. But since Romeo replaced him in the Saints side um, after Hoiberg didn't you know, sign the contract... He's been better than than Hoiberg's been for us, hasn't he? I mean, Hoiberg was good for us, but Romeo has taken things to another level, and we're not missing him. And it's the weird thing. It's, I think it was very rare that a sort of transfer swap like this works out so well for both teams. Like, we needed Carl Walker-Peters more than we needed Hoiberg, and Tottenham are really benefiting from Hoiberg. It's, it's sort of happy families at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, I mean, is there something there about how... 
with the style that Saints play, um, you know, they didn't maybe need the box-to-box player that Hoiberg is, and, and you did need someone who is maybe just a lot more disciplined and a lot more, you know, sticks religiously to a job and executes it perfectly. I mean, there's no doubt in Hoiberg's talent as a player, but he did frustrate a lot. Um, and I wonder if, if Saints, you know, knew they were going to play this much more disciplined, much more structured way, and they felt like a Romeo was a player that could adapt to that. Yeah, I mean, I think as well there's a bit of a danger, isn't there, when you're the captain of trying to overdo things. And quite often I think if we were behind, one of the frustrations with Hoiberg is he'd try and do everything himself and then start taking shots from 35 yards out that... Mm. With the exception of one against Brighton, were just never going in, were they? I mean, he missed loads and loads of chances. And um, that probably doesn't really fit anywhere into Ralph Hassan-Hittel's plans, because Ralph Hassan-Hittel's plans are for a very disciplined, very kind of you know, strict approach to, to the, way that, um, the way that you play football, and perhaps Hoiberg was a little bit more maverick. But on that note about discipline... And Jacob, I don't know if you've got any stats or you've you've seen this, but have you noticed that Saints don't really shoot from long range? No one really, you know, like not really, unless it's a really good chance. No one sort of pings it from 30-odd yards. They seem to sort of not want to shoot from 20, more than, you know, 25 yards. Yeah, I'm actually going to do a piece on Musa Gineppo because I feel some of his maverick style and some of his off-the-cuff style is kind of being stifled by... The, the structural stuff, and that's not an issue, but I, I look at Gineppo sometimes, he could be the type of guy, for example, Shing Rain. I look at him, he's take compared to the other 10 players, he's taken the safety first, first approach because I don't think he really knows what his role is in a team. Um, yeah, but I think in terms of going back to Hoiberg, Hoiberg would take things on, and I always felt like he would, I was never too sure what he'd do on the ball. So sometimes he would see a pass that no one else would see and it would go out of play, and I was just, like he would just do, he have a brain process where not many people would be on the same wavelength. Where Romeo, what you see is what you get. You kind of know where he's going to pass it every time. Mm. Makes it kind of easier, easier about pay. And um, yeah, I didn't want to kind of make things too negative, but I thought he had a pretty tough time against Wolves last night. He just couldn't beat his man. I can't remember who Wolves had him. Um, down down that side, but he just couldn't get past him ever. It, it was just like hitting a brick wall every time for for Gineppe. and I do think he looks a little bit lost this season. Um, I mean, what, what's what's kind of wrong with Gineppe? Because at times last, especially early on last season, when Saints weren't playing particularly well, he seemed. I mean, there were moments. I think Tom and I discussed whether we'd signed a new player, you know, who was going to reach the heights of Mane, and. Um, at the moment, it's not looking like that. And I'm not entirely sure why. He's got talent um, and he can do things and he can score goals and he can normally sort of dribble, but something's not working right now. He, used, he was a free spirit, wasn't he? I think you saw that Sheffield United goal. Uh, would he try that now? I don't personally think he would. And you said about he didn't get past his player, um, Semedo, I think it was yesterday. But mm. I can't really remember him dribbling that pace at him. When he gets the ball, he's often stood still. I there was a time yesterday in the second he picked up the ball. I just wanted to be direct, take them, take them heavy touches, almost coax Semedo in, and then he can use his trickery to get round player. The only time I think this year he's done that was against Spurs. Do you remember he was in that tight area on the byline? He got past Doherty or something, and I think that was that was probably the only time. And I look at him; he's often always on Ryan Bertrand's feet. He's mm. 
he passes backwards. He's not sure how to play that number 10 role, where I think Theo Walcott probably hasn't got the skill as Gineppo, but he's more in- intelligent with his game. Uh, on, in his credit, though, I would say, um, you know, in the last two games, he's come up against two of probably the most dangerous wingers in the Premier League in Alan Saint-Maximilien and uh, Traore. So he's clearly, you know, been briefed. You know, he's not playing Fulham. You know, he's been briefed to like, you know, you're going to have to do a disciplined job and you're going to have to track back, defend and do what you can to help out Ryan Bertrand. Because, you know, I was at Newcastle last year and Sam Maximilian destroyed us and we were at Wolves and, you know, John Traore looked by far the most dangerous player on the pitch. And I think, you know, in, in, in Gineppo's defence, I think, you know, he's probably being asked by Ralph to be tactically very disciplined. And I actually, in his credit, I think he's done that. And there will be times when he'll be free to to do the more attacking stuff. But I agree with you. He, he looks like he lacks confidence. And he, you know, often, you know, his first touch is to kill the ball dead and look up rather than just a gun for space. Um, Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think, you know, he's, he's had two very, very difficult games. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens against Manchester United when it's... I mean, he'll be up against uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think, on the right-hand side for Man United and potentially, depending on what Solskjaer does, but maybe kind of Marcus Rashford out on, on, on that right as well. So I don't know whether he'll be asked to be incredibly disciplined again or if he might... But he might fancy his chances a bit more going forward against Wan-Bissaka than, than perhaps he, he had luck last time. Um, we've got the Man United game coming up on Sunday. Are you feeling confident? Tom, Jacob? Jacob, after you. You're the educated one. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that, but uh, I, I'm i I'm quite confident. I'd be disappointed if Southampton didn't get anything out of that game. I look at Man United, and they don't like being pressured. You saw that Old Trafford last year. Especially if Pogba plays, I think you could. there's an ability here to nick, to nick the ball off that midfield. Fred takes a lot of touches. Matic takes a lot of touches. Pogba does. I think there's an opportunity now just for Saints to be successful with their press. I can't see Solskjaer and May United with their egos doing what Wolves did, where they just, you know, completely cancelled that out. I think Saints are going to get opportunities here. And if they're on it, especially Stuart Armstrong, because I think he's key, especially that channel where uh, Harry Maguire is, I think, you know, Saints can cause them all sorts of problems. And um, But, you know, saying that, going the other way with Saints' high line, so can May United. Yeah. I think it'll be a fascinating game. I think it'll be a real test of how far Saints will come. Man United are much better away from home than they are at Old Trafford. Um, and, you know, Saints, whilst we've got 3 2 0 wins at home on the bounce, there's probably still a bit of a home hoodoo to exercise. Uh, but, yeah, you're exactly right. I think if we can get past the sort of default penalty that they get given in every game, um, I think Saints have got a really good chance of getting something out of this game. Because I think if you're Man United, and, you know, they've played tonight in, in Europe and they've done pretty well, I think, by the looks of things. But again, you know, it's a long trip. It's a long flight back. Not um, from Old Trafford, it ain't. Oh, is it Old Trafford tonight? <laughs> yeah, it's Istanbul no, last well, isn't it? Hey, well, you know, they all live in Fordley, yeah, just quite far. But like, you know, I think we'll have a, I think we'll have a really strong chance of getting something out of them because I just don't think, they're no different to the team that we drew to all against last year. And I think we're better than we were last year um, they're just deadly on the counter attack and we just you know Saints will be drilled for that hopefully I I think Saints 
they've got all the tools to beat Man United here. Um, United aren't free-flowing like they were at the end of last year. I think Romeo and Prowse will be key for, in marking Bruno Fernandes out of the game because everything comes from Bruno Fernandes. Um, if you can get Romeo and Prowse to share a yellow card, shall we say, I think uh, Saints are going to cause them all sorts of issues. Okay, well, we're feeling positive and um, we're going to have a, perhaps a, a, sh- a sheepish return, hopefully, to the podcast of um, uh, the big name transfer that went from Saints to Manchester <laughs> United in the summer in, in the form of Carl Anker. So uh, he's hopefully joining us um, next week after the Man United game. So, so we'll see, we'll check in with him and I know lots of listeners enjoy listening to him last season. So hopefully you'll be feeling a, a, a bit sheepish. Um, Jacob, I, I mean, we've we've kind of talked about some of your writing, and, and we've been very serious. I think in this podcast, we've been focusing on the tactics, the build-up play, um, and really looking at the footballing side of things. It's not all really serious tactics, is it, in your writing? Because I think the last article you you threw out from the Saints was, um, you know, looking at, at Saints' position in the league table. I think fifth would guarantee us Europa League um, football if we were to finish there. And um, among the probably uh, the internet age of Southampton fans, they'll be aware of a, a song um, with a rather catchy uh, chorus of saints in Europa. How do you like that saying? So, Jacob, tell us, you met up with the Red Stripes, didn't you? Yeah, so it was, I think we were 2 up against Newcastle. I was just scrolling through my Twitter during the game and there's this, uh, this tweet, I can't remember who it was from, but they said we need to get the band back together. And all of a sudden, I just remember them and I just thought, oh, that was a that was a great song, and so I I found out who they were, and uh, I spoke to them, and honestly, I when I got on a Zoom call, they were in their full outfit, they were well up for it, and I just thought this is this has to be a story, that has to be a funny story, um, nothing serious, that yeah, but they're great guys, and they did it all for a really good course, which was the Mountbatten Hospice, so we managed to raise some money from that, um to give them from the back of that article so that's what I'm really quite proud of so, so what's the deal with the red stripes are they just two mates that are Southampton fans and because the song's a bit of a mick take isn't it it's, it's a sort yeah. of um uh, a pastiche of um you know perhaps a sort of rock euro house crossover I think I might have to <laughs> dig out the link I'll put it in the show notes but I, I'm pretty sure most most people who listen to this podcast will know it they're two, um, they're two unique characters, shall we say. Um, what you see is what you get with them. They're mates, and they both play in separate bands. But um, one of them said, "Why, why don't we do a Slam, a Slamton song?" And they just said, "Yeah, let's do it." And they managed to get the video all done, two videos in successive years. And they've got like, it's mad. They've got three hundred thousand views on it now. It's, it's almost so amateur. It's, it just everyone likes it because you can just tell they're Southampton fans. They don't really care. Their dance moves are, then I don't know if they're classist dance moves, but they're just, it's just great fun. And it really just captured how, what the feeling was at the time with under Koeman. Yeah. I mean, I very much kind of enjoyed it. And actually watching back the, I hadn't kind of quite realized that there were two versions of the song or two versions of the video, but yeah, I've watched them both. (laughs) I read your article. Um, So, I don't know if I should reveal this, but you know, going back to the sort of Theo Walcott in 2006, um, I was living in uh, in Southampton and our, in a house of seven boys, I think it was second year or third year of, of university, and um, they were all musicians. We tried making a song for the World Cup 
our theory was that if it kind of took off like three lions, we'd have got free tickets to go and watch the World Cup in, in Germany. And bizarrely, the BBC Sport webpage picked it up and it was reviewed by Alan Hansen. Um, I'm not sure why Alan Hansen, a Scotsman, was reviewing England World Cup songs, but perhaps a bit more of a neutral thing. But yeah, so I have forayed into that area and it was nowhere near as catchy as Saints in Europa. And we certainly never got to as much as 300,000 views on YouTube. But, uh, but there we go. Um, Jacob, so, so where can we um, where can we find your writing? So it's prostinternational.com, is that right? Yeah, so they're the um, they're the website I write for when I go to Southampton games. Yeah, Prost International. And and where else can we find you? You're on Twitter, Facebook, other websites. Yeah, else? so you can find find me on Twitter, J underscore Tanswell. I'll just tweet a lot during games and before and after, and I and I'll kind of um, tweet out the fallout after after games as well. So yeah, brilliant. Tom, any any final words of this hundredth episode? You thought of a, another happy memory that was more recent than four years ago? I've just loved spending lots of time with you, John. <laughs> so lovely, so um, so wholesome. Listeners, you know how to um, how to get in contact. It's saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com or at saintsfcpodcast um, on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us on your birthday, Jacob. Many happy returns. Um, <laughs> 20 years young incredible oh, and um disgusting you know. <laughs> thank you i've really enjoyed it cheers and um tom we we hope you get well soon with your um rather famous virus that might be going around your household yeah it's definitely going around. i mean i don't know if i've got it because i'm I, i'm too much for worse to take the test but um it's definitely in the house so two weeks of lockdown for me fingers crossed and just as my Happy brother days. was recovering i, I mean can you catch coronavirus through WhatsApp? I think we might have to investigate this. <laughs> I don't think it's that type of virus, but you never know with Facebook. They're up yeah, to all sorts. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, listener, uh, for sticking with us. Do let us know what you thought of the episode. And um, we'll see you or hear you or you'll hear us in episode 101. Cheerio.